White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 553. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. And we are back with another installment of the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I'm Van Allen Plexico and I'm joined... As always, for this episode-by-episode episode review of all things Babylon 5 by my co-host, Andy Fix. Welcome back aboard, Andy. Thank you, Van. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm good. I'm very happy to be here for yet another episode because you know that tonight, Andy, we are finishing up Season 1. We are getting to the last two big episodes of Season 1. Can you believe it? We're already there. I- it went very quickly, you know. I was just looking back at all my notes. I'm like, I just took these notes yesterday, but it it was for the 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 uh, pilot show, which was how many <laughs> months ago or weeks ago? So yeah, it's going re- really quick. Yeah. And I think it's because I look forward so much to to each of these uh, recording each of these episodes that it just the time just flies by. Well, it does. It really has, and I've been having a whole lot of fun too. And I feel like our listeners have been having fun too. I, you know, every. The last couple of weeks, I've said we've been hearing from people that have liked the show, and I feel like every week or two, we hear from a few more, and people yes. really seem to enjoy it, and that's very gratifying, because I think it means we're doing something right. Does that sound right? Does that sound like it to you? <laughs> that sounds like it to me. And if you guys are listening out there, please keep responding, because I'm a narcissist, and I just love hearing people tell me how good I'm doing. So, no. <laughs> Seriously, it, it is very gratifying to, to hop into a, the, the Facebook uh, pages that, that we frequent and see people talking about our shows and giving us compliments. It's just so it, – it's so awesome because you know this is so much fun to do with just just the two of us chit-chatting. You know, like we're sitting on the couch drinking a beer, watching B5 and, and chit-chatting about it. Yep. To have people telling us that you know they're enjoying it as well, that, that, that it, it makes me happy. It's like they're part of our group and they're hanging out on the couch with us. It's kind of cool. Oh, exactly. That's exactly. And, and I mean, I, I, it's one of those things where when you're doing something, you feel like you're doing it right, but it's always good to get feedback to kind of make you sure, you know, because if we're doing something wrong, I want to know that too. And, and I want to, I want to always want to do a better show and always want to improve. And I've done podcasting for a very long time now. I have a lot of experience at it, but I'm, I'm sure there's still many things that I have to learn and many things that I could improve on. And so I, I like the I like the constructive criticism as well as the uh, as well as the compliments for sure. So we are to our last two episodes. This is going to be an, a, a different, a little different than usual because we only have two episodes to do tonight. But when Andy and I looked at the schedule and realized that there were two episodes left in the season coming up eventually, uh, we talked about it and said, you know, Chrysalis is is such a big episode. We probably don't need to put a third episode in there. And, and we didn't really want to start season two before we could put season one to bed, right? So this seemed like the way to do it, I thought. 
I think it's a good plan because, boy, Chris, <laughs> just uh. watching Chrysalis and, and looking for like the the B five, just any of our categories, there were so, so many much. options. Oh gosh, yes, unbelievable! What a, what an episode it is, and you know there are parts of it that are very 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 familiar because I've watched it as many times as I've watched any episode of the show. Honestly, in fact, it I mean it could be the episode I've watched the most. I'm not sure why that is. Um, and, and by the way, we do have a factoid here I'm going to go ahead and throw out right now because it occurred to me. I mentioned on our last episode, I think, right, that I, that I didn't see Babylon Square when it first aired. And for some reason, it was like years until I finally got to see it for the first time. I just missed it. And I found yeah. out yesterday why that was. They never re-ran it. That floored me. I, I, when, when you told yeah. me that, I, I couldn't believe it because that is like one of the best episodes. <laughs> yeah. it, it had to get it had to get fan attention and critical acclaim because it it, it changed the the, the whole complexion of the series. I, I can't believe they never reran it. I know. I found the on the Lurker's Guide. There's a page, kind of a hidden, obscure, hard to find page, that lists the dates that every episode ran originally, and it, it lists the dates that they reran episodes, and they got through part of they they got through part of season one, and and then they you know they did some reruns here and did some reruns there as they tend to do to stretch the season out, and then they got to um they got to doing everything a second time around, and they came right up through a voice in the wilderness part one and part two, and then they started the new episodes. I th- in fact, I think they went straight <laughs> to Chrysalis, and so yeah, yeah they, they yeah. yeah they never showed they never showed it again, and so that's why I, I probably. Honestly, I probably saw it for the first time on TNT, which is mind-boggling, but I guess so, you know. So, anyway, that was weird. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, we're going to do it that way. We're going to do two episodes tonight, including The Amazing Chrysalis. And and then the other thing we need to announce is that uh, we're going to do a season wrap-up overview kind of season in review episode and we're going to have one or two i'm sure i'm still not sure i'm still in negotiating to get uh to get uh guest hosts on with us but i want to because it's a different episode and we're going to be looking at the whole season just kind of a kind of you know closing the book on season one i wanted to bring in some other perspectives since you and i know each other's perspectives really well i thought it'd be good to have some other views as well mixed in and I'm still kind of working on who I'm going to be able to get because there's always scheduling issues and all that. But we we will very soon be recording our season wrap-up episode. That episode will go out to our patrons for about a week. We're not going to delay it too long. We're just going to let the patrons who are, who are currently helping to support the show get first crack at it. And then it'll just drop into our normal broadcast schedule after that. So you will get to hear it. Even if you're not a patron, you will get to hear it before we get into season two. You'll just get to hear it about a week or so earlier uh, if you are one of our patrons. So, in fact, maybe even earlier than that, depending on how quick I can get it up, just to give them as much advanced time. So, you won't miss a beat if you're just a regular listener. You won't miss anything, but you have early advance access to this. And I'm, I'm still working on some ideas for some other things that patrons can get. And we did get at least one new patron for this show, particularly this week. So, I'm excited about that. Now... Let's see. Oh, the other announcement. I keep saying this. I just want to make sure everybody knows. Uh, this this show is available on all the major podcast apps. But just bear in mind, if you're looking for the main page, it is on its own channel now, which is 
uh, Babylon5reviews.podbean.com in addition to being on the White Rocket main channel. And it'll remain there for a while. That's also, by the way, you might want to go ahead and subscribe to the, to the White Rocket uh, Entertainment Network channel in addition to this one if you're so inclined because that's where our movie reviews are going to go soon. Uh, you know, Someday, hopefully, we'll get our own channel for the movie reviews. But for now, the movie reviews will go up alongside the Babylon 5 episodes on the White Rocket Entertainment Network. All right, enough of the preliminary nonsense. Um, let's see. Did you have anything that you needed to announce or talk about before we get going tonight? Uh, no, sir, I do not. All right. Well, then let's get into it. And as always, we like to remind you, we have added a spoiler section to the very end of, the, of this episode. So we wait until the very end after we've talked about all of our episodes, and then we will sound an alarm and if you have not yet watched Beyond Chrysalis, Beyond Season 1, you want to bail out there and come back later. All right, so on we go. Our first episode, and Andy, I think this is going to be super interesting because we've had three big bang episodes in a row of like the arc, the arc, you know, the plot. And we've got one more humongous one tonight but kind of sandwiched, kind of wedged in between the three we did last week and the one we've got coming up in a few minutes is this one episode that seems, at least on the surface, to be a very much a one-shot, A-plot, one-and-done story. And if there's one, well, there's several things that you and I have discovered along the way this year, but one of them is that we really kind of have a fondness more than I think we thought we would for the kind of the one and done one shot stories. And Agreed. and I know that you're a fan of Franklin. Very much so. So I'm very, very interested to hear what you thought about the quality of mercy, episode one twenty one. So what are your general thoughts about it? <laughs> I and this will <laughs> I think you will be interested in this. Um, okay. It feels like you know when uh, there, there's a, a car going around the, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the qualifying and it has it is at top speed and you know they're going to get the pole position and then their engine starts coughing a little bit <laughs> and, and then they slow down and it's like no <laughs> uh, then they catch back up you know it, it kicks back in again. And they still get the pole, but it's not quite as spectacular as it could have been. So it, it feels like, like you said, it feels like a throwback. And I think this one, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this was recorded much earlier in the season than when it aired. Because it feels like an early, ep an early season one episode. Yeah, that may very well be the case. I will check while you continue. But yeah, I, I okay, so you didn't love it as much as maybe I thought you were going to? Okay, yeah, 117. It was production number 117. Remember, this is the one that HBO actually aired like well before this, I think. Right. They swapped they it out. They swapped it out with like legacies or something, yeah. Yeah, because I, I had to go back looking for it. I had to go way back looking for it. Okay. And don't get me wrong, I do. I did enjoy this episode because, and we'll get into it with the categories. Let's just jump into the categories because okay. I, I think it would explain it better that way. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, I have a couple of, I have a quick summary for it. A woman and her daughter, and we'll talk about who the woman is, which is interesting, are using an alien device to heal people while Franklin is running his own free clinic for people who can't afford med labs. So there's a lot of free medical treatment going on this episode. Uh, Talia has to carry out a death of personality sentence on a convicted murderer. 
and Londo takes Lanier out on the town. So there's there's some interesting various things going. And it, here's a here's an interesting thing I had not thought of before. I never realized before how much Lanier does something wacky with one of the big human characters or other characters season one is. But this is at least the second or third time that Lanier goes out and gets involved with one of the other characters becomes like the C-plot. I, I just I just thought that was weird. That's funny. I mean, he's he's building a motorcycle and riding around with Garibaldi. He's going out to strip clubs with Londo. I mean, Lanier is quite the party animal yeah. <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> the you know what? Un- un- Unintentional party animal. Yeah, he he's more the flounder from Animal House character than the actual character, the guy that was flounder from Animal House. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. That's per- that's perfect. That's crazy, yeah. All right, I will say this episode, watching it this time and watching it through our lens that we've been looking at him through of analy- analytical and all that, is better than I remembered it. And I think that in terms of Franklin centric episodes. I guess this and Believers are the two big Franklin episodes. There may have been another one or two that he was prominent in, obviously, but these are like the two where he kind of has his own big storyline. And I thought this was much better than Believers, so I'm glad Franklin got a better season one episode than that. Uh, Let me hit the guest stars real quick, and then we can get into it. You have the great June, June Lockhart from Lost in Space as Dr. Rosen. And and um, there was apparently a lot of lobbying by Bill Mooney to for them to be in the same scene since she played his mom on Lost in Space, but JMS didn't do it because he said it would have been all that anybody noticed. In other words, they would ignore the actual story just to be like, "Hey, look, it's Billy Mummy and June Lockhart," you know. And they just they, he said there needed right. to be a story reason, and he couldn't find a story reason for it. So I, I thought that was kind of too bad, but whatever. Uh, yeah, that, that would come across too much as stunt casting. Yeah, it would have. Not that this show doesn't occasionally indulge in that, but it would have been very obvious, I think. Um, Kate McNeil played her daughter, I believe. Mark Ralston was Muller, the murderer. And we get to see Damien London as a Centauri senator he was billed. And, of course, we'll see him in some... He's going to stay a Centauri for seasons to come, but in different roles. He kind of pops up as a Centauri like valet or something, and then later on another figure. So we will see him again as a Centauri. Uh, he's, he's so the, hold on. Yeah? You, you kind of glossed over the guy that played the murderer. Do you know where, where else he is from? No, no. Tell me then. He was, <clears throat> excuse me, he was Corporal Drake in Aliens. Oh. Do you, yeah, he, car- he's, he was the, the, the guy that carried the big gun. Okay. Yeah, I know yeah, I've seen him somewhere, so, but I and, couldn't place him. That is one of my favorite movies, and he was one of my favorite characters. So seeing him in this, I had completely forgotten he was in it until he popped up on screen. I'm like, no way, that's Corporal Drake. Wow. So okay. yeah, that's that's where he's from, and he's you know he's still working to this day. He does a lot of video game voiceovers. He has oh. done Lex Luthor several times, and he has done. Um, I can see that. Oh, who was the bad guy from Spider Man? The King Green King? Goblin. Green Goblin. Who played? Who who was the? Norman Osborn. He yeah, he, he voiced Norman Osborn in several video games as well. So yeah, he's still he's still going. So I, I thought that was fun. I, I'm yeah. surprised you missed that. No, I didn't. Yeah, I totally missed that. I didn't realize. But that's cool. I'm glad you're here to, to straighten me out on that. That's cool. And 
Uh, we get Jim Norton as Ombuds Wellington. I believe this is a third different Ombudsman that we have seen. Although yep. I'm not sure we're going. I'm not sure we're going to see the Ombudsman again. I they might pop up in season two. I don't remember them popping up later than season two. So enjoy your um, enjoy your small claims court on Babylon Five while you can, while you can because <laughs> they're going away. Uh, and I was that made me think. I made a note here about that. That one of the pleasures I've enjoyed of watching season one again, in particular, is that you just get a lot of the day to day functions on the station that you kind of lose later on as the story gets bigger and more dramatic. It's kind of like, you know, it, people draw a lot of comparisons to Lord of the Rings, and it's like, you know, some people don't like season one of Babylon Five. Some people don't like the the early Hobbit business in Lord of the Rings. They want to get onto the big battles with the with Aragorn and, you know, the and Sauron and all that. But if you're enjoying the Hobbit business, you get a lot of Hobbit business in season one of Babylon Five. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, and I enjoy that. I'm enjoying like seeing them have a small claims court and seeing Ivanova having breakfast and just all these various little things that you don't really see later as much because there's too many important things to do. So savor those little moments because the show changes pretty drastically fairly quickly, I think. And, and the loss of those moments, I think, is intentional because it makes the, the action going forward that much more intense because, yeah. hey, you know, we don't have any more light moments. We don't have any more, you know, just relaxed character moments anymore. Things are getting serious. And I think that I think that was kind of intentional on the part of JMS. Yeah, and conversely, the being able to have this many of them early on makes us care about the characters more when things when the stakes do get higher. So that yeah. that too. Yeah, so that's true. All right. Um Okay, well, that's pretty much it. Let's get into the categories here. The high point of the episode is, uh, what was your high point for this episode? I'm, I'm still thinking. I had, I had two high points. First of all, it was June Lockhart, because yeah. I loved uh, Lost in Space as a kid. I used to watch that almost as much as Star Trek. And seeing her on this episode, I had completely forgotten she was in this episode. Um, seeing her on my screen, I was like, oh, wait a minute, that's... That's Mrs. Robinson from from Lost in Space, and sure enough, it was. And uh, th- that it was really cool seeing her. And she, you know, she did a bang up job. I thought she did fantastic. And the the fact that it was another uh, Doctor Franklin centric episode was was a highlight for me too. Yeah, I, I I'm such that. I'm such a fanboy for Franklin. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he did a great job. He, I, I have issues with Doctor Franklin, and it's it's the way that JMS wrote him, and it's the way that that obviously. Um, Richard Biggs played him, but we'll get to that in a minute because uh, yep. that's actually part of my low point. Um, I kind of had a hard time finding a high point of this episode because I thought it was a fairly even episode. I, th- I decided my high point was when Dr. Rosen, June Lockhart, sucked the life out of the mass murderer because while I sympathize with her not wanting to kill anybody, that dude needed killing. And, and it was a it was a very satisfying ending for him. I agree. Yeah, he needed killing, and she dealt it out, and it actually made her healthier too. And I say win 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 for everybody. Society wins, right. she wins, he loses. He needed to lose the end. So I'm I'm okay with that, honestly. I haven't and and you know if he had the slightest bit of contrition, maybe I might feel differently. But he was like, oh, I can't wait to kill more people. Y'all need to let me go. I'm just like, yeah, he needs to die. So yeah. good for Doctor Rosen. It worked out the way it should have. Um, what was your low point? Uh, my low point, and this goes back to what we we're just talking about. I, I think it feels like an, a, a filler episode almost. That, and I know it's not. I know there are some uh, uh, portentous things going on, 
but it, it this episode would have worked much better, I think, and I would have enjoyed it more if it had shown up some way somewhere you know around midpoint of the season because it, the 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 story just got going you know with with the last couple three episodes we watched the story really kicked it into high gear and this seemed like a speed bump um before you know the, the final episode and yeah I, I just didn't appreciate that so much i mean it, it, i would have enjoyed it a lot more had it come earlier in the season i think well, and it felt like one of the episodes that would have come earlier. And I, and again, I think that maybe that's one of the reasons that JMS, I, I think, may have decided later on that he wanted it to air earlier. And I'm, and maybe that's why HBO moved them around. But but we've just been watching them in the broadcast order. They originally were broadcast in 1994, so we watched them in this order. Right. But yeah, it... Um, yeah, I agree. But, but I, I agree. agree. It, it was a pretty even episode. There wasn't a whole lot of really big ups or big downs, so... Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, I was kind of reaching for that, but yeah, that, that was a low point for me. And I, I think that's what I'm doing is I'm reaching for a low point, but mine is gets back to what I was saying about Franklin. So Franklin is an interesting character because he's so sure of himself. He's always so absolutely sure that what he thinks is right and what somebody else thinks is wrong. And honestly, Rick Biggs does a great job of acting in those moments where he is confronted with maybe I'm not right. That it's, it's always interesting when Franklin has to confront the fact that maybe he's wrong. It doesn't happen yeah. often. But, you know, he goes in there like, oh, June Lockhart, she's Rosen, she's a quack, she's a charlatan, I'm going to expose her. And then he kind of learns that he's, he's wrong and he's kind of like, you know, he makes that face like, uh, oh, you know, the, the the giant eye emoji, you know. And then there's that great moment where he talks to, uh, her, do- to her daughter, and he's like, no, yeah, she's great. And the daughter's like, wait, what? <laughs> it just, like, you know, wasn't expected. So, But my low point was that he hits on her then. Now, I'm yeah. like, Franklin, he does this. Again, not to spoil anything specifically, but it's a character trait of Franklin that he can be in the middle of a of a galactic war and a personal existential crisis, and if he has exchanges two words with an attractive woman, he's going to ask her out. It's just that's just Franklin, right? He does it over and over and over on this show, and it's it's just like. He's like, I'm going to put your mother in jail. I'm going to get her off. I'm going to throw her off the station. Hey, you want to go out to dinner tonight? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, and that is part of his character that goes hand in yeah. hand with his, his self-righteousness. You know, he's so, so sure of himself that he's right all the time. That's a character flaw. But that that is also, yeah. you know, he's so sure that he can pick up any beautiful woman that he wants. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. He does. He does. Um do we have the Orenzento Ari Benzane overacting award nominee? Do we have a nominee for tonight? You know, I I, I want to say it was the murderer. Um, yeah. I, I, but he wasn't terrible. It wasn't egregiously no. overacting. Again, this is kind of a reach, but there was a couple scenes where it was like, yeah, okay, you're hamming it up as a bad guy a little bit too much. When he's in Talia's head, I thought, is the only time he really kind of crosses the line. When he's, yeah. When he, and, yeah. And, 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 and I don't entirely blame the actor, too, because JMS gave him some dialogue that I'm like, I don't know how anybody, you know, Lawrence Olivier would have had a hard time with this, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. I, I'm, I'm cutting him a little bit of slack there because, the yeah, the dialogue was pretty bad. He, he goes from monosyllabic grunts, you know, to 
I have an orchestra in my head, and you you will join the orchestra and play me into heaven. I'm like, wait, what? What? How, yeah, how, did, was, how did we go from all uh, very, very, yeah, very poetic? And that may be Jameis's way of saying you're inside his head now. This is what he's really like. Yeah, yeah, but that but that might hard. be cutting him too much slack. <laughs> it's it's I no, I agree with you, but it's hard to make it. It's hard. It's one of the again. JMS does a lot of stuff on paper that doesn't work as well in real life, in, in the on the show. We know this, right? I mean, right. He, he's he's a great writer, but he has his limitations, and one of them is because they were in such a hurry, he couldn't really like try things out and say, "Oh no, this isn't working." So he would just throw the scripts out there, and it worked or it didn't, and on to the next episode, and that's fine. That's just how television, you know, works a lot of the time. Um, so uh, yeah, I think he's as close as we get to one, but. Yeah, I agree. He, it, it wasn't that egregious. So, and uh, it, it should be pointed. It should be pointed out that we are looking very hard for criticisms for yes. some of these categories. So it doesn't necessarily mean that we hate the show or, or we oh, even no. hate the act, the actor or the job he did. It just means that you know this is one of the categories we need to find something to nitpick about. Because there are episodes where it's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Hint, this hence, is true. Hence the Orizento Ari Benzane Award. <laughs> <laughs> but not every episode well, has a Norton Zento or an Ari Benzane, so there you go. Right. Um, <laughs> what was your most Babylon 5 scene? And oh, there, Again, this one and the next one, there's a lot to choose from. Right. And for me, it was when uh, at the very end when the in the courtroom when the doctor was um, exonerated and she was set mm-hmm. free, and then the, the ombuds said, but we're going to take your super machine. secret alien healing device and put it away to have our top men study it. Top men, you know, yeah, <laughs> like the so arc. that that <laughs> it was very all foreboding and everything that uh, it's, maybe this will come into play again somewhere down the future. This is not the only thing that you know that gets confiscated by Earth Force to to come and play later. So that's interesting too. I hadn't thought of it that way until you said that. That, that that's interesting that. There's, it's a 50, at that point, honestly, honestly, going by track record, at that point, it's like 70 30 that inter, interplanetary expeditions is getting a hold of it. That would <laughs> right. be, you know, if you go back to whichever episode where, um, Franklin's friend who works for internet for IPX shows up and oh it's infection infection yeah infection right one of our favorite episodes one of our favorites yeah when he shows up I mean it's you know I'm surprised that that uh that IPX didn't end up with it but of course we know from later on that I guess the 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 the, I guess the ombudsman did not work for uh IPX because Correct. It, it actually stays on the station, as I recall. Again, I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but I think it's—I think we can say that if we're going to see it again, it has to be around somewhere that we can see it again. So, right. I think it got lost in the shuffle with all the activity that happens in the next episode. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, they kind of forgot about it and everything, everything going on. Um, my most Babylon 5 scene, I figured, honestly, the scene that reminds me of Babylon 5 the most in this episode is probably Talia scanning Muller inside his head, even though I don't love that scene. It's a very, it's a thing that JMS likes to do is these sort of dream sequences, like in black and white, you know, inside people's heads. It's just a very yep. Babylon 5. Love it or hate it, it's something he likes to do. There's, there's prophecy scenes like that. There's dream scenes like that. And there's telepathic scan scenes like that. There's drug trip scenes like that. There's a lot of different <laughs> ways that we get inside people's head over the course of this series. And this is just one of them. So it's a very Babylon 5 scene. Um, next up is what was your favorite character moment from Quality of, Quality of Mercy? 
favorite character moment was when Lanier in the uh, strip bar, when the uh, patrons approach him after the, the poker incident, and he needs to defend himself and Londo, and he kicks major booty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He pulls, he pulls out the, the kung fu moves that were like <laughs> something from, I don't know what, some kung fu, like kung fu the TV show, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm and it was a pretty, it, you know, he, he had better moves than the guys did in the Mutai. <laughs> he could have won the Mutai. <laughs> right. Lanier, man, they probably don't let Minbari. See, that was a good point. The Minbari are like Vulcans. They're stronger than you think. And so yeah. um, that's why I thought that uh, Walker Smith should have had a much harder time in the Mutai because he should have gone up against guys that were at least as strong as Vulcans or Minbari. And I can't believe we're still talking about TKO. That episode <laughs> will not let us go, man. That episode, it's left its mark on us. Oh, like a bad drug trip. It has left its mark on us forever. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I, I too have my favorite character moment involving Lanier and Londo and the incident in the casino, but mine's just a little bit later. It's when when Lanier steps up and, and takes the blame to save face for Londo. I thought that was very cool of Lanier to basically, he's been dragged, kicking and screaming to do these things, and then he gets in trouble over it, and he's like, it's, it's on me, it's my bad, I'll take the hit. And I just thought that was really cool. So good for, good for Lanier. Yeah, he's such a great character. I really enjoy Lanier's character. He is, he is. Um, I had a couple of runner-ups real quick. One was when Franklin and Ivanova discussed free health care. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I'm like, oh, we're having an Obamacare meeting in the middle of, uh, of the episode. How interesting. Okay. And then um, the, I also liked when Garibaldi sat down and talked to Talia in the Zen Garden. I, it was one of those rare moments when Garibaldi talks to somebody other than Sinclair and drops all of his fronts and is just sincere and, and, and compassionate. And I like that because, you know, he's usually got his gruff front up that gets him through life, except sometimes when he and Sinclair are kind of talking, you know, man to man, heart to heart. And he kind of, he's like, well, Jeff, you know, this was one of those moments. And it's one of the few times it was somebody else. And you could really tell that he liked Talia, I thought. He was concerned about her. Agreed. And this episode was so filled with, with some heavy moral dilemmas mm-hmm. and, and moral discussions that there was a lot of great character moments just just from that alone. So, yeah, I thought that that scene was very powerful as well. That's true. Um, let's see. Funniest moment. Well, we had a few to choose from, and I'm – yeah, there was there's some I'll, I might leave to you unless you don't do it. Uh, <laughs> let me just say I love the line from Londo where he tells Lanier – here you will see the heart and soul of Babylon 5. Also, its spleen, its kidneys, a veritable parade of internal organs. <laughs> I like that line good. And then and then I got to throw another one. He, uh, when Lanier is talking about what he learned in the temple, and Londo goes, really? That's astonishing. And he looks at the waitress, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> you can nominate that whole... That yeah. whole plot line as the funniest moment because there were there were some classic moments, but my funniest moment came at the very beginning when he was talking to the senator on on the the vidcom, yeah. and the the senator says, "I'll be in touch," and he says, "You know, Lando hangs up and he mocks him. He goes, "I'll be in touch. Touch this," and he touches the sides of his rib cage, and my wife was like. I don't get it. What is he doing? And I'm like, you'll see later in the episode oh, what, what he's doing. He he's giving him the you know the crotch grab, but 
the crotch yes. grab on a on a centauri wouldn't matter, so he's touching his his rib cage where his oh, genitalia wow. are underneath his shirt. I thought that was hilarious. I thought that was such a funny, just a little a little nod to the alienness of him, and I thought that was hilarious. And I got to tell you, I missed it every single time. This is the first I've really thought about it, and and you're right. Yeah, wow. I'm I'm not sure if I'm happy you pointed that out to me or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, but you're right. It's cool. My, you there, know, well, there, there are, there are worse genitalia related jokes in the episode. So I thought that was a pretty, pretty tame one. We have not yet begun the genitalia, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but and and my other one I wanted to just toss in here was when Londo at the very end of the episode, he's everything's kind of settled down, and he picks up the statue of the sort of you know the god or goddess that has both sets of genitalia. And yeah. he carries it off and closes the door. And I'm like, where is he going with the statue? <laughs> what is that? What did he just do? Uh, I, I don't want to know. I don't, I don't know, and I don't want to know either. That's right. All right. I have a few random fact toys. I've only got like two. Gosh. Um, oh, in fact, we've already talked about one that he, the Bill Mummy wanted his TV mom in there and didn't get it. So the only fact toy I have for this episode... JMS said he had the flu when he wrote this episode, had a high fever, and it's the only episode he has absolutely no memory of writing. <laughs> he, he says he looks at it now, and he has no idea where it came from. He has no memory of writing it. And he actually says he doesn't like it that much. He said that it, it's, it serves its purpose, and it gets everything done. And I'm looking at this script, and I actually like this episode a lot, and I'm like, God, I mean, if this is what you write when you're almost unconscious and you can't even remember it later and you don't like it, that's pretty impressive, man. So right? I thought it was fine. So oh, that was interesting. My my only random was that the only the only factoid you had? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. My random factoid, and boy, I was I'm, I'm very proud of this one. I dug this one up. So according to JMS, now this is canon because apparently uh, he wrote this in a story or something like that. I'm not sure exactly where this comes from, but this is directly from, from the, the master's mouth. Uh, the planet that the, the race that created that alien device, mm-hmm. the planet was actually discovered 500 years later and it was found to be a dead planet. Oh, so according to it, in, in the future history of Babylon, the Babylon five universe, they did find the creators, or at least where it originated from, this the alien healing device. Right. And they were all dead. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. So you think this kind of technology had to do with them all being dead, or was it something else? I don't know. That could be. Huh. I mean, if they were if they were this depraved to come up with this thing, yeah, you know. Well, and that's because they didn't. They didn't use it as as a no. as a healing device. They right. used it as a as a as Excellent. a guillotine. punishment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Guillotine. That's the perfect way to put it. Yeah. Which floors me that that Babylon Five was doing something very similar by mind wiping these. I was floored mm. that that was one of the 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 options for um for punishment on Babylon Five. I was like, we'll just completely wipe their personality away and have them work as slaves. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, that's one of the things. That's one of the many things I like about this episode. Is it asks a lot of questions about how you punish people and what they deserve. And I was very flippant a while ago about being glad that they that the that they zapped the life out of that guy because if anybody, I mean, if anybody deserved it, he did. But but you know, in a more serious manner here, on a more serious t- note, the whole episode is about you know 
people, what do you do with people that are beyond redemption? And, and, and what's the acceptable punishment? And, you know, when is, a, when is a machine like that ethical and when is it unethical? It just it asks a whole lot of questions. And it asks a lot better questions than believers did, honestly. It, it, it doesn't, Agreed. And, and it doesn't have as many dead children at the end by having zero. <laughs> so I give it a big, you know, gold star just for that. So. Uh, well, another oh my god moment in regards to the the whole discussion of capital punishment was when <laughs> Garibaldi said, "You know, I think we should just space the guy." And the mm-hmm. Ombud said, "You know, we can't do that. We only space people for these <laughs> for these crimes." I'm like, "You space people for crimes? Yeah. One of the most brutal deaths you could ever possibly come up with? You shove them out in an airlock? Yeah, that floored wow. me." Yeah. Yeah, and it just shows that they're still debating and and wrestling with those same moral dilemmas in twenty two fifty eight. You know that we are right. Now. Well, it, yeah, we and we've mentioned before how how um, pertinent this show still is to to politics today. I mean, yeah. stuff they're talking about in in, in nineteen ninety three or ninety two, and stuff that they're still talking about in twenty two fifty eight is the same stuff we're talking about to this day. So yeah, it's it, it it's a very powerful episode. This is. This is the health care and capital punishment episode. <laughs> and arguably the next episode is the gun control episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like an episode of the West Wing in space. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that is really fascinating. How about all that? Huh? I hadn't. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and, and, and again, and he doesn't even remember writing it. So that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> right. interesting. That's uh, the most impressive thing was, boy, man. maybe, he, you know what? Maybe while he had the flu, he was watching the West Wing and was just like, oh, I'll do that. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. I, I wrote, uh, I wrote Cold Lightning, the novella that my comic book series is based on originally in 2014 when, when I was home for a week with the flu on my, I, I wrote it on my iPad lying on the couch. But I kind of remember writing it, and it came out pretty good. So he must have had some serious flu. He must have had captain trips or something to be uh, to, to, to totally forget it or COVID. Um, all right. Well, who won this episode? And I'm curious to see what you say. I want to say that uh, um, Dr. Franklin – you know, it, it's it's very close. Either Dr. Franklin or uh, June Lockhart's character yeah. because she ended up getting her life back. You know, she had a little bit of guilt for killing the bad guy, but she was like, eh, you know, I got 20 or 30 years to my life and I can do some good with it. Um, so she was in a bad situation, ended up in a good situation. Uh, but Dr. Franklin, he – you know, he – Help the 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 old doctor lady, and he got a date with the young doctor lady. So, and, and that's obviously going to blossom into, you know, a recurring character for her because it's going to be a, an ongoing relationship, right? I from yeah, somewhat. No, no, she appears just in this one episode. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I, but I still, thought, he, I thought he, maybe he got she the girl in the end. I thought maybe she popped up a time or two, but no, he's on to the next conquest, I guess, pretty quickly. Right. Oh, Doctor Franklin. <laughs> I, I've got that Dr. Rosen, uh, June Lockhart, won the episode for the reasons that you gave. And I also said all the viewers won this episode because of instead of a little kid dying in a Franklin episode, it was an evil murderer dying. And I would take the <laughs> evil murderer dying over the little child dying any day of the week. So we all right. won with that. What did you rate this episode? Oh, I knew you were going to throw this one to me first. I, yeah. You know what? I gave it three stars. Yep. Because, because... As much as I w- was not satisfied with it because it felt out of place, as a standalone episode, I thought it was really pretty well done. Um, th- it had the serious moral dilemmas that they discussed. It had the hilarious um, sidetrack with uh, Lanier and uh, uh, Molari. 
which was good, and um, it had a really cool guest star. So overall, it, it was a pretty solid episode, despite my my uh, reservations about where it shows up in the in the airing order. You're correct. It's a three three point oh. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot. I've enjoyed all all the sort of standalones uh, this this whole season. I thought it was it was good. And um, we, you know, we we know more. We know, looking back on it, we know that it's more significant than it than it appeared at the time. But that's all I'm going to say. Um, but uh, there was one other thing I was going to mention about it, and I'm going to forget. Oh well. Oh oh. Are we are we really going to wrap up this episode and never mention the uh, the incident at the poker game, the tentacle? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of that's one of my favorite moments but it, this is a family oriented podcast so uh i mean if if you want to broach the subject you're more than welcome to and i will i will take it from there oh uh, i just wanted to acknowledge that it happened and then we can just uh because I, I think everybody yeah. understands right that that's that's not like the thing he uses to get drinks and stuff and as his like third hand or something that's a little more intimate <laughs> right. so the, just the, the, I, I cringed when the guy put the ice cold <laughs> pitcher down on it. I was like, "Oh, that poor man!" Is it very cold in here? No, it's fine. Oh. Um, yeah, that was well, that was extremely funny. I think somebody asked JMS, like, "Did the network or the your P10 or whatever did they object?" And he said, "I think they." He he said, "I think they basically just tried to pretend it didn't happen, and I tried to pretend it didn't happen too, and we all just kind of pretended it didn't happen. So let's know, just all pretend he, it didn't happen." He had a funny tweet about that. He was talking about he gave it to two uh, ladies in the prop department to to um, come up with the the appendage. Oh yeah, they had a they had a ball with it, and they were just harassing him about it and, and going in there for approvals with all these different questions. It was just a hilarious story. Oh lord. Oh gosh. Okay, I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> well. <laughs> Uh, we are at the midpoint because we only do two episodes. So buckle up, guys and gals out there. Buckle up because we're about to get into Chrysalis, which is possibly the heaviest hitting episode of the entire season. And I know I got a few things to say about it. I'm sure you have a few things to say about it. But first, possibly. I, I suspected that that one we just did was going to go a little longer than we thought because there was a lot to talk about in that episode. It was a good one. But we have to quickly thank the folks who keep our show on the air. This show, we don't do advertisements. We're never going to try to sell you anything. We're never going to try to run any ads for gambling or enhancement products or anything like you get on all these other podcasts. We are supported entirely by our listeners through Patreon.com. If you want to help the show continue and keep us on the air, go to www.b5review.com www.b5review.com and click on the button that says become a patron. I've got the little players up for every episode we've done so far there so you can go in and listen to any episode in any order you want to. They're all there. Uh, But you also can click on the button that says become a patron and sign up and we're already getting folks that are doing that and we really appreciate it. Here are the current folks that we always thank on every White Rocket episode of every show that we do that are keeping our programs on the air. They include Chris and Clinton Stewart, Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Patrick Hayes, Samuel Salvatore, Allison Rich, welcome aboard Allison, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, Michael Kirshner, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, Ann Canyon, AU Falling Up, Ben and Eileen Dover. Yep, they love to put things in there for me to read. <laughs> ben Bloodworth. 
Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, George Gasson, Jacob and Robin Fleming. Looking forward to seeing you guys at DragonCon. John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Steve Harlan, There Goes Davis. We have a new one. Timothy. We had several new patrons this week. W.D.E. Ritchie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, Chris the Hilton, Colby Butler, and as I swallow and the computer cycles around, Danny Flack, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Di Bama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Canoy, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, 76 Tiger, okay, it's Bob Sammons, Alex Wynn, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Riggis, Brandon Smith, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, James Taylor, Jason Albrick, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Eiliff, Justin Peen, Kathy Bright, another great Dragon Con person, Kenneth Brent Rains, Christian Thorvaldson, Mark Squire, and finally, just the last few here, Matthew Flowers, Mick Vigicana, Paul Bankson, Public Land Owner. Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth, and Darren Sutherland, more DragonCon people. Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Brent Rumble, Chris, and our one-time and anonymous donors. I appreciate you all so much. Andy appreciates you. We keep you keep us on the air, and we we couldn't do it without you. Go to www for as little as a dollar a month, folks. For as little as a dollar a month, or whatever you want to sign up for, go to www.b5review.com. And now we are to the big one. Episode 122, Chrysalis. Would you like to do some summary on this one, or would you like me oh. to? <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to begin to summarize this one. <sighs> I, 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 I honestly, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's, well, you know what? I'm going to tell you what the Lurker's Guide says, because they do a good job of giving me. All right, here it goes. It says, first season finale. A dying man leads Garibaldi to a discovery that could cost him his life. Londo receives help in a dispute with the Narns. And by help, yeah, he does. Something begins to happen to Delin. Um, okay, there you go. That summed it up about as vaguely as it possibly could be summed up. But we got a lot to Talk say about that, I think. the art of understatement. Yeah, yeah. That's what their, their summaries are kind of like that. That's why I don't usually use them. I usually make up my own or let you do it. But... I figured, you know, for that one, because like you said, that we'd be here all night trying to summarize this episode. <laughs> um, I, I will say this, a couple of things I wrote under summary. I said, we're back to the Narn and the Centauri yelling at each other in the little tiny council chamber that we've commented on. But I'll say that JMS commented and said he wanted the pre-title sequence, the cold opening, to be something we were familiar with so that we go in thinking, oh, it's that again, and then you get your feet knocked out from under you. And right. I would I would agree that that uh, um, what's the word on the book ends it very well with the last line from Sinclair at the end of the episode yeah. when he said yeah. everything has everything has changed. You start out with something that everything is so familiar, and then it, you end with everything has changed. That you know what that pretty much summarizes the entire episode right there. Uh, and I actually had dang it, what did I do with that? I actually had. Um, that's really weird. I actually had, well, we'll, we'll come back to it, but um, I had, oh, there it is. Um, I actually had something prepared for that. And, uh, oh, here it is. I switched it to my soundboard. Yeah, I actually saved that. You're, you're referring to the moment when Sinclair near the end says, Nothing's the same anymore. Yeah, 
there you go. That that's yep, that's what it was. Yeah, I, my memory is shot. So oh, but that's there we go. I had it standing by. I just forgot I had it standing by. Um, so I was going to add, uh, and so it begins, but. That's been done to death, so I'm kind of tired of that phrase. Um, the <laughs> that, used, other, that used to be my that used to be my uh, computer sound when it, when I turn on my computer. Yeah, of course, yes, yes. Well, there's a similar related sound that was mine for a while, but we'll get to it actually in a few minutes because it has another purpose now. Um, the show, interestingly enough, starts out. This is, I think, one of the first. No, I feel like maybe. The very like midnight on the firing line start out by showing us something like what time it was or what day it was or something in twenty two fifty eight, and we haven't yep. really had that again until now. And what it's showing you is this one starts out December thirtieth twenty two fifty eight, and you realize one season of this show is one calendar year of real time. Correct. I always thought that was cool. Yep. So we get a date check, but it will not be the last. And it shows you that by the end of the by the end of this episode, we are at the end of 2258 and the beginning of 2259. Um, there was also a very uh, early on. There was a line from Londo that I had to note down, where he says, "Keep this up, Jakar, and you won't have a planet to protect." And I'm like, "Oh, that's some how that's, how portentous." <laughs> yes, how shiny and portentousy. Um, <laughs> no kidding. Uh, I did, by the way, uh, Andy, move the notable guest stars category, in case folks haven't noticed, up. Because we usually end up talking about them at the beginning anyway, so there was no point having it near the bottom. That was kind of dumb of me. So, notable guest stars this episode. Not credited on the Lurker's Guide, but and I'm not even sure if credited in the TV, in the show, but obviously there was Julia Nixon, the wonderful Julia Nixon. I love Julia Nixon so much. As Catherine Sakai. And um, so good to see her. And this, well, I won't say it. And um, (laughs) I'll say this. If you want more Catherine Sakai after watching Chrysalis, you need to get a copy of To Dream in the City of Sorrows by Catherine Drennan, who happens to be Straczynski's wife. She wrote the novel To Dream in the City of Sorrows, and it is about Sinclair and Catherine Sakai, and I believe Marcus, a character that's coming up in the future. And um, it is considered canon. It is part of the show, even though it's a novel. Unlike most of the original Dell paperbacks that were just kind of knockoff, cheap, you know, cash grabs, honestly. It's it's actually a, a chapter of the show that we don't see on the show. So it's called To Dream in the City of Sorrows. Oh, the, the great Julie Nixon. Um... Let's see. Uh, Macaulay Bruton as Garibaldi's insist- assistant, who I believe is called Jack. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. And he is so creepy all through this episode. We figure out why in a little bit at the end. Uh, Edward Connery as Devereaux. He was suitably nasty. And Maggie Egan as the ISN anchor. There's a lot of important guest stars here. Gary McGurk makes his first, I think, appearance as William Morgan Clark, Vice President slash President Clark. First and time then, we've seen him, you are correct. Yeah, and most perhaps most portentously and signy, the great Ed Wasser is back as Morden. You'll remember him from Signs and Portents, and we said we'd see him again, and here he is. The, 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 the sinister... Um, Twilight Zone host himself. Um, um, <laughs> Rod uh, Serling. Rod Serling. God, I'm blanking out. Yeah, 
the e- evil Rod Serling is back. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's too bad they don't have cigarettes in 2258 because Morden could just be standing there holding a cigarette and he would look perfect, I think. He, he's kind of a throwback <laughs> actor to like those 50s shows. I could I could have seen Ed Wasser showing up on Perry Mason or something, you know? He just he has that kind of he, look and that stance and that delivery. He would have been good for WandaVision. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because he just has that kind of 50s self-assured kind of smug TV guy thing going, but it totally works for this character. I love it. I love it. And then <laughs> I, we're going to yeah. and we're going to see Maggie Egan as the news anchor quite often. She's kind of the Rachel Maddow of the 12 2250s and 2260s. <laughs> so we'll see her again. Um and of course this episode was written by JMS, of course, and directed by Janet Greek. We mentioned her a couple episodes ago. She's back because she's really good. She has a handle on these big portentous episodes, and I think that JMS understood that, kept bringing her back along with a few other people. Um, is there anything I missed about the summary or the general conversation before we get into the categories? No, I think you covered it all. All right, so here we go. I'm putting this to you, sir. What was the high point of this episode? And I'm ready to just, I'm, I have no idea what you're going to say. <laughs> I honestly have no idea what you're going to say. It, you know, you have to have a little bit of a hint, but it, there are so many high points. But oh. the one for me, because I'm such a ship geek, was when <laughs> the the shadow ships come and attack okay. the Narns. Because not only do we see the Narn outpost with all the cool Narn ships and the cool Narn station, but then we get the first full glimpse of the shadow ships and we see how powerful they are. And it's it, it's a important scene for the whole the whole series. I mean, it it sets into motion everything you know that's coming after it so it was not only just a, a portentous moment but it was a really cool scene because of all the the ships and i'm like i said i'm i'm a ship nerd fair no absolutely those ships have rightfully gone down in television history as some of the most unique unusual and basically terrifying things that have ever appeared on television there's no question about it and this is really you got a glimpse of them in something earlier whichever one but i forget but this is the first time we really see them actually flying around in action. And you're like, wow, what is that? Yeah. So, and I, you know, my original answer to this question, the high point of the episode was going to be the entire episode because it's just, there's, but honestly, there's a few moments that are not high points. Of the episode, obviously. So most of the episode is a high point. I think this episode sustains heights more than any other episode in season one. I'm going to go ahead and say this is the best episode of season one. This is the biggest episode of season one. It's the most important episode of season one in some ways. And it's kind of mind-blowing. JMS loved it. He raves about it. If you read some of his uh, statements he made back at the time about it, he said that he he showed it. He shipped it off to P10, the network, you know, and they came back and said this was the best season finale of any show they'd ever seen. They were blown away and all. And he was very proud of that. And, he, and understandably. I will say this, though. Over the years, I've had different parts of this episode that appealed to me the most. And certainly all the JFK assassination stuff near the end is powerful. But I, I think right now, my highest high point, and I, and I mean that when I say highest high point, I think my highest high point right now might be... Um, when Jakar tries to figure out who blew up their base, and he says, and I may get this wrong, it's off the top of my head, but he says the Centauri don't have the will, the humans wouldn't do it. I think this is the opposite. He says the humans wouldn't do it, the Centauri don't have the will, the Vorlons don't care. Yeah. The Minbari didn't do it. 
which I guess is just his way of saying they don't care either. Um, and then he just kind of looks at Natoth and says, there's somebody else out there. Yeah. Oh, and he says that none of the other races have the power to, to even try it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he there, pretty much dismisses every known power in the galaxy. Yeah, and so he says, there's someone else out there. And that, to me, is the is one of the most sign and portent-ish <laughs> moments <laughs> of season one because, you know, Jakar now is thinking, I've got to find out more about who this could be. I need to right. know it, more. And the delivery, the look on his face was sheer terror when he was talking about this. Like, oh my God, there is something bigger out there than all the problems we have put together. Yeah. And and that's so interesting too, because remember, we were just talking last episode about how um, Jakar, it wasn't that long ago that he was Mr. Shouty, Screamy, threatening, shake his fist and go bananas. And he's still doing a little of that at the beginning of this episode. But it really is the moment where Jakar begins to think maybe, I think it's just what you said, that he begins to think maybe the problems I've been thinking were our biggest problems aren't really our biggest problem. You know, right. maybe, maybe we're two ants in the anthill fighting over a scrap of toast as the giant is about to step on the entire anthill. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I just love that. That's Seeing that that's coming in, creeping into the show. Because, you know, other people in this episode have smaller... You know, the, the, the assassination of the president and a coup and a, and a fascist government and all, that's not small. But it's not some other race showing up that could wipe everybody else out with a snap of their finger. Right, exactly. So others, yeah. others in this episode are worried about their own things, the assassination of the president and, and whatever else, uh, whatever Delenn is doing, which we're going to get to. But what Jakar is worried about is something that threatens everybody. So um, did you have a low point of this episode? And you're really going to hate he mine, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, uh, I had to, to uh, get nitpicky with this, but I think that the lowest point for me was um delenn's device that she was putting together for to create her chrysalis it just seemed it very i mean my son plays with you know little plastic toys that snap together like that so yeah. it looked really super cheesy there but again that's getting nitpicky there's there's really no low point for me in this this episode no i hear you yeah i got i have two nitpicks as well and they are nitpicks one is, every other episode, Franklin is like, I fight for life. I will do everything I can to save this person's life, no matter how miserable, how pitiful, how terrible, how evil they are. I will fight for their life. And then when Petrov dies, he's like, sorry, he's dead. Bye. <laughs> I was like, what? He just tosses his gloves in the trash. I'm like, see you later. He's dead. <laughs> Dang. You got the, I, I, all I can figure is that that date with the Rosen chick was that was like in an hour, and he had places to be, man. Right. Or maybe he lost a, a girl to this Petrov guy. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, that, that that's a that's a fair point. I mean, he he was kind of callous about it. He was like, eh, God, he you was. Know what yeah, he was like, later's. Um, <laughs> good gosh. The other thing, and this is just one of those things that. It's begin because I've watched this episode so many times over the years. This stands; it always stands out to me and, and kind of grates on me. And that is when Garibaldi and Jack 
discover the pieces of equipment that they that have been smuggled aboard, right? That's the, the assassination related stuff. And Garibaldi's pulling these big pieces of equipment out and looking at them. And he keeps asking Jack, hey, it, you, it, can you tell what this is? And Jack's like, no, I can't tell at all. Well, it's a this. Oh, hey, can you see the numbers on this? No, I can't see any numbers, boss. Well, yeah, the numbers are right here. They're this. Hey, what frequency is that set at? Oh, I can't tell, boss. No, the numbers are right here. It's set for this frequency. Hey, that's the president's frequency. I'm like, Garibaldi, why do you think your assistant keeps saying, I can't figure these things out? You think he's just stupid or maybe he's trying to cover it up? Well, and it, but Jack has Jack has laid the groundwork for this the entire season. Every time, yes. every time Garibaldi asks him something, Jack's like, oh, "I don't know, boss." So know. maybe he's just used to be him being a, a clueless doofus. He is. Well, and and I was going to say this later. I think in the comments, but in the factoids, but um, you'll recall that in the Mutai, God, it's back again. <laughs> TKO keeps coming up. I, that episode was bigger than I thought it was. It was like the it was like Signs and Portents Part Two. Holy cow! <laughs> but in TKO, Walker Smith, what does he say to Garibaldi? He's like, "Be careful, watch your back. You are never good at watching your back." Right? Exactly. Ooh, the little that yeah. little uh, little uh, foreshadowing there. A little bit, yeah. Little bit of because- foreshadowing. I mean, this thing with Jack wasn't something that JMS came up with just for this episode. No. This was laid out long ago. And we're going to get to, um, either in the factoids or in the spoiler space, we're going to get to, um, that's a good name for it, spoiler space. That kind of works for Babylon 5. Um, We're going to get to um, a connection with another character from season from er, much earlier in the show. So we're going to talk about that. I I will I have reasons for putting it where I put it. I just don't remember offhand, but we'll get to it. What was your I I have two nominees for the Oren Zento Ari Benzane overacting award. What did you think? I, I didn't have one for this. I thought everybody was pretty <laughs> solid. I am looking I'm looking forward to seeing what you have to say. Oh, you you missed at least one for sure. One of them is one of them is questionable and one of them is eh. All right. First off, at the very beginning of the episode, I thought, all right, this is going to be the one that holds up. This is the one that's going to stand up for the entire entire episode, and that was Petrov. Stephen Petrov, you, you, you got to stop them. They're going to kill him. <laughs> kill who? <laughs> okay, I'll give you that one. That wasn't the greatest, all right? I mean, that was, that was, some, rough, that was some rough acting. And it stood up almost to the end until Garibaldi's down in Down Below, and I just called her Lurker Lady. Life is cheap down here, friend. It's funny how the only time you people seem to care is when one of your weasels gets it. I'm like, okay, somebody's in high school musical or something. I don't know what that was. Your so, delivery right there was actually better than her delivery in the, in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It was pretty rough. Yeah, it was a little rough. I'll give you I, that. I think Lurker Lady wins the award. So congratulations to Lurker Lady <laughs> for your Orenzento Ari Benzane award. And no, it is not the, it is no, it is not going to be the Orenzento Ari Benzane Lurker Lady overacting award. <laughs> We're not adding any more names to the trophy. It's it's run out of room. Uh, what was your most Babylon Five scene? Oh my God! Yeah. There were <laughs> so. I know. There were so many. It, I, I I narrowed it down to two. Oh, okay. The the the, the uh, um 
scene where uh, Sinclair was talking to Jakar in his quarters, and he, you know, he says, "I feel like we're at a crossroads here, a crossroads here, and you want to make the right decision and be on the, the right side of this." That was that was huge. That just laid out the entire uh, the entire plot for the rest of the the rest of the series. Um, yeah, it was a very portentous moment. That and right at the very end when. Uh, when uh, uh, Kosh says, and so it begins. I mean, that is the most Babylon 5 phrase, other than possibly Ivanova's phrase earlier. This one, I mean, that that is just Babylon 5 right there in one sentence. I, you know, I, I've got to say, um, that's true. You're right that um, that is, I guess, pretty much, I was just looking to see, I have the, uh, oh, here it is. So it begins. And then he follows that up with the often forgotten, you have forgotten something. Yes, which was which was cool, because then the look on Sinclair's face, like he's like, oh, yeah, I did. Dylan. And then it's, you are too late, sucker. Um, yeah. Yeah. I basically have, the entire episode is a most Babylon 5 scene, with a few exceptions. But the right. one the one that really kind of looking forward says to me, this is a big Babylon 5 scene, in some ways, honestly, is when Londo meets with Mr. Morden in the maze. Yes, that, that was... That was a, very close to being my top one as well. Yeah, that's that's basically setting up a whole lot of the of what's to come as well. I mean, it's basically I think I think you're right that when Jakar talked to Sinclair and kind of set Sinclair on one path, and this is Londo talking to Morden and setting Londo on another path. And so, if it wasn't already determined the path that that, that Jakar and Londo are going on. I think this is kind of when they cross, right? Yeah. Because up till now, for the most part, up till now, Jakar's been the kind of the more bad guy, the rough, tough, mean guy. Londo's kind of the not really trying to do any harm. And they have just, their paths have just crossed like an X. And now Londo is ambitious. He's rising in the ranks back on the home world. They're talking about him in the, in the emperor's court. And he has the ability to summon in, apparently, forces that can take out entire military bases, while Jakar is suddenly concerned for the fate of everybody and trying to find, you know, kind of investigate and find information on it. It really is remarkable how early in this show they their trajectories cross, I think. Yep. Yeah. And what's really impressive is almost every main character has a life-changing moment in this episode. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's amazing that that they they shook the anthill so much, you know, or the shook the jar full of ants so much with this. It, it, like Sinclair says, everything has changed for for every main character on the show. I mean, everybody's main arcs have just, you know, taken off like a rocket. Nothing's the same anymore. There it is. <laughs> I keep hitting it. Well, and and that takes me to my number one favorite character moment. That's a really good segue, so I'll go ahead and do it. I, my favorite character moment was Sinclair proposing to Catherine Sakai because I, I love them so much. They're so cute together. They're such a good couple. I love Catherine so much. And I love the way he does it where he's like he hems and haws and says, look, do you want to get married or don't you? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I thought that was a great here. moment too. That's so how Sinclair would do it. You know, He's just so... 
he's not going to be all suave. He's just very awkward about it. And and she yeah. totally understands that. She knows him. And then and I love how when they're at dinner and they're trying to get Garibaldi to be the best man and and Susan to be the maid of honor and um and they're they're just you can they they have you know it it still surprises me how good a chemistry uh, Julian Nixon has with Michael O'Hare because yeah. At the beginning of the season, I would have never thought that him getting married or getting engaged, I would have cared a bit. And by this episode, I like Sinclair so much, and I like Catherine Sakai so much. They really have good chemistry, don't they? They do, absolutely. I, and that that segues into, segues into my favorite mm-hmm. character moment, which was that, that engagement announcement, that, that scene at the yeah. dinner. Yeah. Like, you know, with all the powerful character moments in this entire episode – I thought those two were the best because it it gives you it's such a tantalizing taste of what could possibly be yeah. before we just yank everything out from under your feet. In this in this very episode, they yank everything out from under their feet. It just gives you that one moment of of serenity where it's like, oh, this could be a really cool thing for everybody involved, and then boom, it's all gone. So it, it's like the the calm before the storm, and I thought that it, it was a really cool moment. Yeah. Yeah, I I like when in in the in the moment right before Sinclair says nothing's the same anymore. Right before that, she's in a bathrobe and she comes down the little steps and sits down sits down next to him and just kind of snuggles up into him. And that's when he says that. And they just right. seem so comfortable together. They just seem so at ease. They it's just it's their their relationship is really made it's really powerful to me. It really t- it really you know. Really had Agreed. an impact. So yeah, it, and I have to say that if I ever attend Dragon Con, I am going to cosplay as Sinclair in that cool Bab- Babylon Five bathrobe. <laughs> that is the, the the coolest bathrobe ever. I want because it looks like his uniform. I thought it was his uniform at first. It's kind of got the same color scheme, but he stands up and it's the bathrobe. I'm like, I got to get me one of those. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I didn't I'm not sure I realized that either. Yeah, they they were having they were having a, they were very comfortable together there. Um okay, we have we actually get a couple of f- funny moments in this episode, which is surprising. I guess like you said the calm before the storm. What did you have for your funny fun, funniest moment or moments? The funniest moment came when uh, uh, Veer and it, it came very early on. It was when mm. it, Malari was talking to Veer, and Malari is like, "It feels like I'm being nibbled to death by <laughs> by." And he gives this description: it has feathers, uh, a long bill, web feet, and it goes quack. What is that called? And Veer very helpfully says, "Cats." <laughs> yes, and it he, feels like I'm being nibbled to death by cats. Londo is like totally, totally in. He's like, yeah, it's cats. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think I have that one queued up. Let me see. This is like being nibbled to death by, uh, what are those earth creatures called? Feathers, long bill, webbed feet, go quack. Cats, cats. Cats. Being nibbled to death by cats. There it is. That actually supposedly came from something else that that JMS's mentor originally wrote in a poem or something, I think, but... uh, but yeah, it I, it was very effective. I thought in that point. That's not I my all right. I have a I have a Londo related funniest moment. I think it's just a line because I've always loved this line, and I think I can even do it because I've used to imitate him. I, it's not going to sound very good anymore. I used to could do it better, but I'll give it a shot because I want to. Londo says, "You know, Vir, 
I think I will go and stick my head in the station's fusion reactor. It would be quicker. <laughs> and after a while, I think I would even come to enjoy it. So that was, that was my favorite line. And the other funniest moment, because this is a tie, there's a Londo and a Jakar one. It's when, I think it's Sinclair maybe? It's one of the command staff goes in to see Jakar in his quarters and Natoth is there. And she's like, oh, the yes. ambassador is indisposed. He's very busy, very busy. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the three like strippers come out, three human women. <laughs> and then Jakar comes out and he's in a This is like the bathrobe episode. Everybody's staying at the Holiday Inn. Everybody's staying at the Holiday Inn this episode. And Jakar comes out in the bathrobe like, oh, how you doing? You know, it's all good. What can I do for you? And I'd be like, man. What was that, Jakar? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and the Toth is just like, uh, you know, yawning at that. Like, this is just, this is Tuesday for her, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's no big deal. And when, when the girls come out, she goes, oh, I believe he's now available. Yeah, she, yeah she's just totally, totally nonchalant about the whole thing. No big deal. It's all good. I mean, I'm sure she rolls her eyes a little bit because she just thinks, you know, con- she has contempt. For his activities, right. just just like as we'll see, Londo's wives eventually having contempt for <laughs> him, but uh, but she goes along with it because he's the boss. So, uh, all right, I have I have a nice little list of factoids for this one, probably more than most, but there may be some we want to talk about a little bit. So let me just kind of run through what we haven't already covered. This episode originally aired on October 26, nineteen ninety four, two months after the previous the Quality of Mercy aired, and. It was the final episode of season one. They held it back as a transition to season two, which is weird because it's. I, I, I my thinking was maybe um, since the since things were going to be changing so dramatically at the beginning of season two, they wanted to kind of start season two off with the same thing people were used to, you know what I mean? So they held it back as like a transition, like a. Like you, you, you tune in for the new season and you get one more Sinclair, you know, one more of Catherine, one more of all that, and then we go into what season two is. So, and by the way, I think we're to the point now. I don't want to spoil the first episode of season two, but we, I think we've made it pretty clear by now that things are about to change pretty dramatically. So, if you haven't watched two hundred one yet, go ahead and fire that one up, folks, because things are about to change and nothing's the same anymore. Um, <laughs> Let's see. This actually was filmed 12th out of 22. I thought that was interesting. It, they had a lot of post-production needs. They had to do a lot of CGI, obviously. And they were, you know, remember, they literally were doing the CGI for this show on Amigas. So it took a long <laughs> time to render the visuals. And so they actually, JMS planned it. What that meant, though, this is the fascinating thing to me about it being episode 12. He wrote it in this order. He wrote it before he wrote the other, the other ten episodes. So he actually had to write the endings or later stages of storylines before he had ever written the beginnings of them. Which is mind-boggling. I mean, yeah. just, just the 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 achievement of of not just the entire season, but the entire series of, of his writing. I mean, it was a phenomenal, and it changed television forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, I was I was wanting to check and see. Okay, so yeah, signs and portents was production number one sixteen. That means not only not only did he write Morden and Londo in this episode before he wrote signs and portents, they filmed this episode before they filmed signs and portents. Right. 
So, so the actors had to had to figure out how. Yeah, yeah. And, and to their credit, they did a good job. So, yeah, when we see Morden for the first time in this episode, it was the first time he played Morden as a you know as an actor in this episode. Yep. Then later and he filmed Sign of Portent. Right, and it, it's the first time that that Malari interacted with him, even though yeah. you could see that their relationship had advanced since the first. Well, since the in in series first time that they met. That's crazy. Yeah, very, That's, very impressive. Very yeah, impressive. It really, really is. That just kind of blew my mind. Um, let's see. Uh, the president of yeah, the uh, president Santiago. The picture of him was Douglas Detter, the executive producer. That's not the first time we've seen him in that role. Um, right. JMS said, "This is interesting. You'll like this." JMS says, "Quote: The first triluminary." was found by the Minbari, not made by them. Was found by the Minbari, not made by them, in a vessel they ran into about a thousand years ago. Huh. Wonder who could have been piloting a vessel into Minbari space about a thousand years ago with a triluminary. Hmm. Right. Very interesting. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, it is. I think I have a few ideas we can maybe mention in the spoiler space. Um, right. I, I mentioned that Walker Smith told Garibaldi he was never good at watching his back. I thought that was cool. Um, okay. Um, I think we can say this because it's all done now in season one. We remember that the second in command initially was not Major Atumbe. No, I'm sorry, Andy. It was not Yafikado. <laughs> <laughs> I know we both want to get Yafet Kato on the show at some point, but um, <laughs> the original second in command was Laurel Takashima, and she ended up leaving the show before the after the pilot, but before the first season, and we were, and was replaced by Susan Ivanova. Now, now that we know who the traitor was, it was Jack, the assistant uh, to the security. Originally, if if Laurel Takashima had stayed on the show. She would have been the traitor. Wow. She was the one that would have shot Garibaldi in the back. They would have set wow. her up all season. They would have set her up as the faithful second in command who grows a little coffee plant in the, you know, in the garden and everything. And then she's actually working for the bad guys. And there's more to it than that that I'm going to say for the spoiler space. But I will say this. JMS has said when he brought in Claudia Christian to be Ivanova, he said, I knew that people that thought Takashima was going to be the traitor would assume now Ivanova will be the traitor. And he said, I never did anything to dissuade them from that, but that would have been too obvious. So he decided to make somebody else the traitor rather than just that position. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm glad he did because that would have ruined the best character of the series. Absolutely. Yeah, I look at Laurel Takashima, and honestly, I'm like, I've said it before, <clears throat> I love the actress, but not in that role. So if she'd turned out yeah. to be the traitor and they'd like shot her or arrested her or she'd gone back to Earth or whatever, I'd have been like, well, so much for her, you know? <laughs> but if it had been Ivanova, I'd have cried bitter, bitter tears of hatred. Yes, yes. She's just too too important to the show, as we've talked about many times this season. Yep. Um, all right, there's more to that. I'm going to mention it in the spoiler space because it 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 impinges on later seasons. All right. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Was Leanna Kimmer aboard Earth Force One at the end when it exploded? That was a question people were asking. 
JMS later said, we don't know the answer, but we will learn in time. I don't think we ever learned. I don't think he ever mentioned it again. Someone said, why did you never mention it again? He said, because if I mention her, I kind of need to show her. I didn't have a reason to show her. Hmm. But he did suggest that just like on Survivors, right? I, I, this is this is my great achievement this season, Andy. I can remember what Legacies and Survivors are about now. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably going to last about another week, and then I'll be back to having no idea. But I believe in Survivors, we found out that Kimmer goes ahead. She's an advanced, advanced security. In other words, she goes where the president's going to be and sets up right. things for him coming. So she wouldn't have been on Earth Force One. She'd have been at EO. There you at go. The, at the jump point. Okay. That and, That is the most uh, amazing pronunciation for IO I've ever heard. IO. I mean, you, yeah. only have, you only have two letters in that, and they're both vowels, and you pronounce <laughs> one of them wrong. <laughs> I've never known how to pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> IO. Okay, whatever. Uh, let's see. Oh, Yeah. Remember, we saw a newspaper headline a while back that said the Psy Corps may have violated its rules and its charter by taking sides by endorsing the vice president? Mm-hmm. And somebody said to JMS, if the shadows are on Earth, we need to ask why Psy Corps haven't picked up on them. And JMS mm. replied, yep. Yep. So that all kind of goes together, I think. Yep. Psychor was on Clark's side, and Psychor doesn't seem to know or isn't publicly saying anything about the shadows. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Hmm. That's all my factoids. You have anything you want to throw in there? That was quite a bit. That was. I do have a couple. Um, one, and you alluded to this earlier, but the uh, the scene when they were swearing in the vice president. Yes, that was that was a direct homage to uh, President Johnson's swearing in immediately after Kennedy died. I know yes. that was that and that wow that 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 was powerful. That was like whoa, you know, because y- you've seen that pic that photograph in history books since you were you know since I was a kid, and yeah. seeing that you know reenacted like that at such a powerful moment, it just lended lent the to the the gravitas. You know, it was. It was pretty impressive. Also, and I don't know, did you know about JMS being mugged in San Diego? I found that out when I listened to the audiobook of Becoming Superman, his autobiography, about two months ago. Yeah. That's the first he, I ever he, knew about it. He almost died. He was severely mm-hmm. wounded, mm-hmm. and he had to crawl to safety to, to, to find help. And he said he put that, that was um, Garibaldi's scene, when Garibaldi was, was crawling like that after uh-huh. he was shot in the back. He said that was a direct, um, a, a directly from my experiences after being mugged in San Diego. There you go. I thought that was cool. Talking about putting a little bit of yourself into your show. Oh no kidding! I mean, talking about a, a life changing moment that you were, you know, that you were able to put into your artwork. I thought that was really cool. I, I always assumed that was why he had San Diego blow up. And this is that not is sp- he he has come right out and said that. <laughs> That's not a spoiler. I don't know if we found it. I don't know if we've seen it on the show yet, but it's not something that happens on the show. So I'm not spoiling something that's going to happen. It's just right. in the back. It's in the backstory of the show. It already happened that San Diego is a nuclear wasteland. Right. So. I think that was mentioned in one of the earlier episodes when yeah. they're tossing about horrible terrorist attacks in the history of of Earth. Yeah. That was one of them. Because I remember the first several times I heard that on the show, and I'm like, San Diego. 
Why right, San of all Diego? places. <laughs> of all places. They just don't like the Chargers, you know? Well, the Chargers aren't even there anymore. So <laughs> Right. Maybe they're upset the Chargers aren't there. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, I'll teach them. Bring back my bolts. <laughs> um, by the way, here's just a totally random fact thought about San Diego and the Chargers. Do you know that the Chargers are not the, – the NFL team Chargers were not named for horses or for lightning bolts. They were named because the guy that originally owned the team owned a credit card company. <laughs> Isn't that the most depressing thing? That always makes me so depressed to think about that. that yeah. that's, see, I always thought that because the Knights used to ride Chargers in the battle, yes. I thought that's what it was for. You'd think it was that a horse. Your second option is electricity because they got lightning bolts on their helmets, and it's neither yeah. one of those. It's a freaking charging your, tra- your charge card. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, that, that is the most capitalist thing I've ever yeah. heard. That's hilarious. <laughs> <sighs> it is pretty sad. Um, oh, well, thank, right. God, thank God he didn't like own a, a, a porn magazine or something. <laughs> oh, God, I'm kidding. Oh, Lord. I don't even want to go there. Um, so I think that's all of our factoids. Who won this episode? And this is interesting. Uh. Oh my God! I mean, yeah. nobody really won the episode because I I would have to say Morden. Yes, because man, ding 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 he, ding, you got it. Morden won the episode. You are correct. Right. He every everything uh, his plans came to fruition, and he Hell he yeah. played the pieces perfectly, and he set himself up for or set his you know his, his side up for for some serious maneuvering. I mean, it was it it was well played on his part, but. Everybody, I mean, he gets it by default because everybody else, everybody else lost. Yeah, yeah, got it. I've got to, got to think so. Absolutely. Um, I, I had a note. Garibaldi certainly didn't win, and nope. uh, he pretty much lost. I, I thought it was. I like the circular nature that at the beginning of the episode, his informant is shot in the back and on the ground, and by the end of the episode, he's shot in the back and on the ground. It was very exactly. Uh, poetic there uh and certainly president santiago didn't win anything he was like the uh the ned stark <laughs> of season one of this episode uh, that's a very apt uh, analogy yes yeah. i guess maybe clark won too sure but president he really clark? wasn't i mean he was only in there for a for a, a brief scene yeah but he's but now he's the president yep and, and i you know it's it, it uh, it's interesting you brought up the Game of Thrones reference because Game of Thrones may not have been possible yeah. as a TV series without the groundbreaking uh, work that Babylon Five did. 100%. And this episode felt the entire episode felt like a, a a scene right out or an episode right out of Game of Thrones, didn't it? I mean, 100%. there was so much political political maneuvering and tragedy and just I mean everything. It, it was very Games of Thrones Thronesian. Absolutely, yeah, Littlefinger. Would have been on Babylon Five working for Morden or working with Morden. There's no doubt <laughs> right, in my right. mind. No doubt in my mind. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, they're the same character almost. Um, yeah, I had. Uh, oh, oh, you mentioned Clark being sworn in, and they actually had photos on the set of the DC-10 or whatever plane, the the Air Force One, where he was, where where Johnson was, where LBJ was was sworn in by like a local Dallas County judge or whatever that they brought on board. Uh, and I always, I always love the fact that in the side of that photo of of LBJ being sworn in, you know, you have his wife barely visible. You have, uh, you have Jackie Kennedy right there in the foreground. He wanted to make sure everybody saw that she was there, and he wasn't like doing a coup. Uh, yeah. But you also can see um, on the left side of the picture. I'm not looking at it right now. I'm going from my memory. Uh, but you can see Jack Valenti, 
and he was one of LBJ's aides. He's the guy that became the first leader of the Motion Picture Association of America, MPAA. He came up with GPGR. I guess those are the hmm. three back then. Yeah, they added PG-13 and NC-17 later. But um, yeah, he's the guy that came up with the rating system. That guy on that in that photo with LBJ being sworn in. And, um But what I thought was really cool about Clark in this episode was as soon as he's sworn in and he goes on TV, he does that old, we must continue to honor, you know, our great president Santiago. And then he immediately goes, and we're going to do it by doing everything my way, right? We're going right. to start paying more attention to Earth. We're going to ignore the aliens. We're going to be, it's, it's Earth first, Earth first. Yay, yay, yay. You know, patriotic, wave the flag, guns, guns, guns. And I'm like, man, he just, that was such a perfect political pivot. You know what I mean? Where yep. you start out by saying, we're going to do everything to honor my predecessor, and we're going to do it, pivot, by ignoring everything he believed in and doing everything I want to do. Yeah, it was, and, it's, it was, it was very chilling. It really how, was. How, sm- how smooth he, he just <sighs> assumed all that power. I mean, it was, yeah. it was crazy. It was crazy. And um, I, I do have to say that uh, I, I've been on that, that Air Force One plane of JFK's. Oh, really? They have it on display at the U.S. Air Force Museum just uh, about 20 minutes north up in Dayton, and I've, I've walked through it. Wow. That's pretty cool. I yeah, I've never been seen or been on one of those. That's really neat. It is very cool. Sorry, uh, sidetrack. Let's get back to Babylon. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, absolutely. That's cool. I'm I'm just taking the chance to look ahead at what because I'm about to tell what we're going to be doing in the future. Um, but we got to rate it. I'm really curious to hear what you how you rated this one. You know, I, if I could give it a quarter star off mm-hmm, four point mm-hmm. seven five, I would because yeah. it just seemed very, very plot heavy and very fast. But you know what? This is one of the greatest Babylon Five episodes ever, and and like uh, you know, you said the P ten guy said it was one of the greatest you know series or season finales ever. Yeah. I have to agree. It, it, this is worth a five. If if anything is, this one is worth a five. Yeah, I, I was saying exactly the same thing. I'm like, man, it's a four seven five. It really is because four point. F- it's funny we haven't. I I, I know I, I can't remember for you, but I certainly haven't given out many, if any, four point fives yet. And yet right. for this episode, that almost feels a little light. But but there's only like five episodes in the entire series that I would give a five, and I'm not sure this is one. But I will say this. I'm more inclined to give this a five now than I was before we started this rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I The first season has, has – I honestly have enjoyed this first season, I think, more this time watching it and talking about it with you than I have any time previously. Oh, that's awesome. I, I think that up until now, I've had a little bit of sympathy for people that say, oh, just skip season one and get to the good stuff. And I'm I've like, I've said that myself before. And now I'm like, are you crazy? Are you kidding yeah. me? This is great. This and, is great. And this episode it was like a microcosm of, of that because yes. it had all the quiet moments, it had the action, it, it had the, 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 the character arcs, you know, the, the characters being the, the, their quintessential selves. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it really feels like the almost the perfect Babylon Five episode. So yeah, it's 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 a five for me for sure. I'm 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 I may stick with four point five, not out of any insult to this episode, but just out of deference to the glory that is to come. But right. I will say it is close. It's like if if four point seven four rounds down to 4.5 and 4.75 rounds up to 5. This is like 
four, 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 you know. All right, enough of that. Nobody wants to hear that. Our next installment, we have two installments coming up. We're going to have our regular next episode, which will begin season two. And Andy, you and I have to at some point make a decision how many episodes we want to include because 201 Points of Departure and 202 Revelations both have a lot of points of departure and revelations, to be honest. (laughs) And then 203 Geometry of Shadows has a lot going on, too. I don't know if we want to try to cram all three of those into one episode. I mean, my my wife is drawing up divorce papers right now. Yes. um. (laughs) Yes, I think we probably should make it too. Yeah. Right. She has been very accommodating, as as has your wife. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, these recordings have have gone longer and longer each time. (laughs) Yeah, I think we need to cut 201 and 202 and then stop there. Uh, Right, we can do that. We can do that. Um, All right. Um, So our next installment, our regular installment, 201 and 202, uh, points of departure and revelations. That's plenty for one episode. But we're also going to be coming up soon with the season wrap-up, which we've talked about. All right. Here comes your spoiler warning as we go into spoiler space. I don't have a whole lot, but... Jumpgate activated. Oh, yeah. There we go. We got a sound effect, that, Andy. That was slick, man. That was yes. really cool. <laughs> There's your warning. We are now in spoilers. We've jumped through this jump gate to spoiler space. I just have a few a few quick things. Do you have anything for the spoiler section? Let's get that. Let's get to it. Oh, holy cow! Uh, the I, I had completely forgotten the alien device, um, the alien healing device. Um, I, I know. I, I remember that um, uh, Marcus Cole used it, or yeah, used it to save Ivanova. Yep. But I had forgotten that it that it actually showed up earlier in in the series so that was that was cool for me when they showed it i was like oh my god that's that's right this is where he got it from it wasn't just something that he found it 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 was actually something that was established early on yeah i thought that that was really really um, cool amazing yes that i I remember i the only reason i remembered it was because it had that exact impact on me at the time i'm like that's that thing from from 119 121 yeah holy cow no no doubt um just a couple of things. Dr. Rosen's addiction to stems because she wants to do more work is a big foreshadowing of exactly what happens to Franklin coming up. Yep. So I thought it was interesting that Franklin saw the warning sign right there in front of him and he does it anyway. Another Um, foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another one. I, I mentioned that there was a little more about Takashima if Takashima had been the one to betray Garibaldi and shoot him in the back, would she have been caught in that episode? Um, or like, in a, you know, I think Jack gets caught by like 201, 202. It's pretty soon that Garibaldi remembers who it was that shot him. Right. Would they have kept Garibaldi from remembering and Takashima would have still been there, but we would have known she's a baddie now? How right. far Ooh. would they have dragged it out? That would have been cool. With Jack, it's like, you know, you can go ahead and take care of him pretty quick. But yeah. if, if it's one of the main characters, I can see them just dragging that out. Kind of like on Battlestar Galactica when they dragged out that Boomer was a Cylon for like half a season or something, you know. We, we, yeah, we right. knew it, but nobody else knew it, you know. Yep. That would have been cool. And would it have been, I, I've always suspected it would have gone all the way to Divided Loyalties where... Um, you remember the way it plays out on the show is Lita Alexander comes back and exposes Talia as the secret traitor. Right. 
That, would yeah. it have, but if Talia was still on the show and not going to leave, would it have been Talia exposing Takashima? Takashima. Yeah, that's, that's that's very very interesting. That would how that could have played out. That man, that would have been really devious. And and the other connection is, if Talia had ended up being a traitor and being exposed, would we have gotten? And she hadn't left to go do other stuff. If she'd come back on the show, would they have used the recordings the vicar made to restore Ooh. her personality? Yeah. That's what I was always waiting for. Yeah. But she left the show, so it didn't matter, and that never went anywhere. Right. Right. The the vicar could have been super important if 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 um I can't think of her name. Uh but if Talia had, had come back on the show. So anyway, there yeah. you go. So those were my thoughts. Um in what form did Delin see Kosh at the end? Right? She she asked him a question and we find out later the question is have the shadows returned to Zahadum and Kosh says yes, and that freaks her out. So she goes and says, I need to see for myself before I commit to this path. And he opens up his suit and he, you hear the whoosh and the flap, 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 right? Which we're going to yep, find out yep. more about in the fall of night, I think. And uh, at the end of season two, what did she see that convinced her? Because here was my thinking. Your first thought is she sees him in his Minbari form, Valyrian or whatever. Right. But why would that have convinced her to turn into a half human? What if he came out and she saw him in his human form like the humans saw? And that made her think mm. that the humans have more of a connection than she thought, and it's okay to turn herself into a half-human. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I really wonder. I don't know. I don't know yeah, these things. that's kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to zip along. The only other, Oh, the last one. Last one. It was just funny to me that they built up so many characters having a trap door, as we talked about before. Yeah. The one that didn't really seem like they were about to leave and in fact seemed like they were about to have an even, you know, more going on with Sinclair. He's about to get married. Uh, presumably Catherine would have been the one to go out on the rim and get to Zaha Doom and get captured by the shadows and end up in a shadow ship and all that like Anna. And so it's interesting that he ends up being the one that leaves. Right. And I mean for real I- world reasons, I know, but it's like he had the smallest trap door of anybody. Del- We've already talked about Delin had three trap doors she avoided. <laughs> right. She could have been replaced by a different actress when she became human. They could just said, "Oh, I look different now." You know, would have been easy. Right. Yep. Garibaldi could have died. Yeah. Exactly. J- Jakar left. He could have been. Oh yeah. Off in space for the rest of the series. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. So it's the one I- that I thought was the least kind of set up to leave. That, that, that kind of threw me at the beginning of season two. Yep. Hey, so. You know, I, I have to say, knowing what we know about uh, Sinclair leaving, that scene, that, and I wanted to say it earlier, but I, I almost slipped and said it, that engagement announcement scene was the last scene that they actually had together. Yeah. Yep. And how, you know, how, how emotional and, and, and touching that was, you know, how he asked him to be his best man. I mean, that's, you know, and that's just phenomenal, you know, to ask somebody to be your best man like that. That shows how close they were. Um and for that yeah. to be the last scene that those two characters ever had together, or those two actors ever had together, was, That's was right. pretty impactful. Well, I mean, watching it now, knowing what we know, that was pretty pretty impactful for me anyway. If you want to have happy thoughts about Sinclair and Catherine, then just go ahead and assume that he goes to Minbar to be the ambassador, and she goes with him, and they get married, and they live happily ever after, and eventually he comes back and does the war without end thing and all that. Don't read To Dream in the City of Sorrows. 
Okay. Because you... I, I, I had written that down to, to, to go find and read, but now that you say that. I'm just should. saying. It's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of bittersweet. I haven't read it in 30 years, but it's kind of bittersweet. You get answers. You just may not like all the answers you get. Ooh. But it's, wow. I mean, it's it's hardcore Babylon 5, though. I may reread it at some point here. I may pull it off the shelf right. tonight. But, I mean, yeah. Because I'm pretty confident her, the original plan was that she would have been the one to go to Zaha Doom instead of Anna Sheridan, right? Because it was all set up. She's an explorer. She goes out on the rim. She encounters right. first ones, you know. But, um, yeah. So, I won't, I won't spoil that book anymore for anybody. All right. Um, I think that's it. Do you, so, any last thoughts? No, sir. I think, <laughs> I think we, we covered everything. It was I it was a lot did. to cover. You know, this might be our longest episode yet, and we only did two shows. <laughs> I told you why. This is I told you. I said if we did three for this, it would it would be three hours long because All we right. had a lot we had too much to cover. But too much. Just too much. We had too much to cover. I told I told my wife, hey, we're only doing two tonight, so it shouldn't be too bad. <laughs> And folks, join us uh, soon. If you're on Patre- if you're a Patreon supporter, again, you'll get to hear it very soon. We're going to do a special season one wrap up that should be a whole lot of fun. So, Andy, we'll talk I, to you soon. I cannot wait for that wrap up. That's going to be a blast. Very good. All right, we're out of here. All right, see ya. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.